Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Church, right? There's a 
theologian named Andrew Root that's written a lot of recently about what's going on in the church and in our life right now. One of the things that he uh, keeps coming back to that I've, I've benefited from, he's, he's provoked me this, is the challenging idea that really what matters for our faith in the long run, what, what matters for the faith of our, our youth in the long run is not necessarily how many times they showed up for a small group or necessarily how many times they uh, showed up to go to Winterfest or something like that. But the idea of can they perceive our world as one in which God is at work? That God is doing something. It's important for the survival of the church, not just as an institution, but as a community. That we take that as our distinguishing mark. That God is at work. We have the imagination and the capacity to be able to see it. To be able to see it in all of this thing that we do when we gather on Sunday mornings. And to be able to perceive it when we go to work on Monday. To be able to perceive it out at the soccer fields on Tuesday afternoon. And be able to perceive it in the schoolhouse on Wednesday at lunch, right? To be able to see that we're not just abandoned to this world by ourselves, but that the Creator is still moving around us. That astonishing reality is at the heart of the mission of the book of Acts. It wasn't just, okay, we have some facts that we need to share with other people who don't necessarily know these facts yet. It was the reality that the God who created all of the people living in Jerusalem also created all of the people that were living up in modern-day Turkey. And that the things that that Creator had been doing among the people in Jerusalem, he was also wanting to do among the people that lived all across the Roman Empire in that day. And all the people that lived around the world. That there was something about what God was at work doing that was changing the world and it was changing people. <laughs> That fundamental thing that there's some divine experience of God doing something in the world. It's at the core of who we are. We're in Acts chapter 13 today. And I want to take a little bit of time today. This is just one of those stories of how this mission. How the work of God gets done. How the work of God shape, uh, you know, moves about in the world. We've already heard that at the end of chapter 11, that this man Barnabas, who was a person of, we know, great generosity and great encouragement among the church, that he, uh, he was a person that had already sold everything that he had to provide for the people uh, who, who were in need. That was something that he did all the way back at the end of, uh, in the end of Acts chapter 4, before the church spread out in some of these other places. Barnabas, in Acts chapter 11, after uh, the story of Cornelius, Barnabas sees a great number of new believers uh, coming, uh, coming to the church in the city 
of Antioch, which is, you know, a little further on. And when he sees all that taking place, he says to himself, Barnabas says at the end of, at the end of Acts chapter 11, he says, I need more help in teaching all these new believers the way of God. I need someone who is able to help us see what's going on and able to interpret it in terms of God's story. So Barnabas is thinking to himself, who is it that I know? That both knows the ins and outs of God's story as it's taken place in what we call the Old Testament, but in, the, in he, what he would just call the, the scriptures. Who is it that I know that knows how God was at work in the scriptures and who would be helpful in teaching these new believers what God is doing in this work of Jesus? And in his mind, he says, I wonder about that fellow Saul. Barnabas travels all the way up into Turkey and goes and gets Saul, who's just been hanging out. And he brings him back down to Antioch, and they together begin teaching. And we'll fast forward. Now we're in chapter 13 of Acts, and the first couple of verses kind of pick up with that, that story. After uh, this interlude in chapter 12, some things that happened up here. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod the ruler. Fascinating little side note. And Saul. So the church in this space, it's not just Barnabas and Saul, but it's some other people who are uh, have roles of being giving them the word of God prophetically and also teaching them. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then there's gonna be some a time that they're proclaiming the word in Cyprus. They're gonna have some uh, this confrontation with a, a person that's a sorcerer, somebody that claims evil uh, powers there. And then eventually they're going to leave verse 13. We're going to fast forward here. And this is the part of the story that we really want to focus on today. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. This is in uh, the southern, this is kind of the coastal region of modern day Turkey. So they've come up there. John, however, left them and he returned to Jerusalem. That's John Mark. Left them and went to Jerusalem, but they went on from Pergamon and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the official of the synagogue sent them a message saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, give it. And so Paul stood up with a gesture, he began to speak. So this is the way the story is set. They have made their journey. They kind of went up to Cyprus. They went on up into modern-day Turkey. Okay, and they're in this region that, by the way, this is the kind of region that the book of Galatians is written to. Galatia is kind of a region in this area. And so that group of people 
that were going to receive that letter as those, those churches later. This is kind of the story of them coming to Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas, they just go to the synagogue. They go to their own people, to the Jewish people there. And they sit down and, and notice that at the beginning they don't necessarily even assert themselves into the story. They're just there worshiping along with their Jewish brothers and sisters. So they're there in the synagogue, and then the people notice and they say, huh, we've got some travelers here. Let's see if they have some word that they want to share with us. Now, I wonder if they regretted that later. Okay. You know, because Paul, you know, they probably were expecting Paul, you know, Paul and Barnabas is just people visiting, right? Like, I, I don't know if I asked some of our visitors today, hey, you guys, you guys, you have something you want to share? You're probably like, whoa, that's a little hot and heavy, right? A little much for the first day, buddy. Okay? They say, but you know, Paul's just like, well, you better believe I've got something to say. And he comes up, says with a gesture, he begins saying this. And, and notice the story that he tells. You Israelites and others who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors. And made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm, he led them up out of it. And for 40 years, he put up with them in the, de- in the, wilderness, in the wilderness. After he had destroyed the seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance for about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until the time of the prophet Samuel, and they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. He reigned for 40 years. When God had removed him, he made David their king. In his testimony about him, he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my wishes. Of this man's posterity, of his offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had already proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his work, he said, well, who do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but one who is coming after me, I'm not worthy to untie the thong of the sandals on his feet. My brothers, you descendants of Abraham's family and others who fear God, to us the message of the salvation has been sent. The residents of Jerusalem, their leaders do not recognize him or understand the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. And they fulfilled those words by condemning him. Even though they found no cause for a sentence of death, they asked Pilate to have him killed. And when they had carried out everything that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. As for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, they are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to our ancestors, what God has promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising Jesus. This also is written in the second song, You are my son, today I have forgotten you. As soon as raising him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy promises made to David. And therefore, he has also said in another song, You will not let your holy one experience corruption. For David, after he survived the purpose of God for his, or served the purpose of God for his own generation, died, and was laid aside with the ancestors, and he experienced corruption. Okay? 
that he who God has raised up experienced no corruption. So let it be known to you, therefore, my brothers, that though through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, by this Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from all those sins from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So beware, beware therefore, that what the prophet said is not happening to you. Look, you scoffers, be amazed and perish. For in your days, I am doing a work, a work that you will never believe, even if somebody tells you. This is the gospel that Paul and Barnabas share with the people there. And they're going to get some mixed reviews, right? There are going to be some people that are going to respond to it and other people that are going to turn them away and eventually run them out of town. Some people are going to hear that word and respond in obedience to the gospel. And other people are going to rebel. But I want you to hear the core of what Paul and Barnabas have to say in this story. And they point to these gathered people in this space. And they talk about how their God had been at work for a long time. What they have to say is something new, but it's in continuity with all the things that had come before. This is not a brand new story. This is the next chapter in the story that you've already heard. This is a way of Paul, I think, speaking to the people here and showing them that there are roots of what is already, and what is already taking place in your life. There are roots of the story that is now coming to bear fruit. He begins with where they already, what they already know about God. But then he says, goes on to say that all of this story, all of the things that you've known before, it's brought you to this point. Where you need to hear this. In Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, God is offering you forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins that some, some, some of those sins that you couldn't even figure out a way to have it forgiven through this law of Moses that you guys knew. This is a way of God bringing forgiveness for everything. For the totality of who you are, God has made it possible for you to be made right with Him. You're justified. You are set whole before God. Now, that little bit there, I think it's important to think about the totality of what they're saying. When, when Paul is leaving them later and he encourages them to continue in the grace of God. So forgiveness is the beginning point. It's the message they have received. But it's also what they need to continue to grow in. And then he also says to some others who are, who are refusing them in that moment. Okay. Paul is, uh, there's this really harsh word. Look in verse uh, 46. So some of, the, some of the Jewish crowd, they're rejecting what Paul says. And then Paul, it says, verse 46, that both Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, and they said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken first to you. But since you reject it and judge yourselves to be unworthy of eternal life, 
we are now turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I sent you to be a light for the Gentiles, so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So notice first, there are a couple of things in that little text that I want to share with you. The first one is, the way Paul perceives their rejection of the gospel. He doesn't say, because you think you're too good for this. And he doesn't even say, because you think this is untrue. What he says is because you think you are unworthy of this. Because you think you are unworthy of this message. You judge yourself to be unworthy of eternal life. That's the reason we're going on. See, the core of this whole message is a willingness and an openness to receive a word that is full of grace and forgiveness. To be able to receive what God is doing. God's word was not a word of condemnation. It was a word of salvation. And all they needed to do in that space was be willing to receive it. God was offering it to them, and yet they were saying, oh, that's not for me. I just know that there are a lot of people in the world who, when they meet the gospel, even some of us here today, hear the gospel and say, well, I don't really feel worthy of that. And that is a deceit of the devil, man. And the word that comes from God answers that deceit by saying it's not about whether you're worthy or not. It's about God's gift of grace to you. Now, I feel like there are certain branches of Christianity that try to prepare us for that by first telling us how absolutely awful we are. I find that to be counterproductive. And I don't necessarily find it to be the way that the Gospels were claimed in Acts, even. The word isn't, God hates you, you better be baptized. It's that in Jesus, God profoundly loves and chooses you, and against any word that would naysay it, He speaks His love of you. He willingly receives you, offers forgiveness for whatever might stand in the way. This is the gospel, right? And whether or not we are worthy of it is way beside the point. Because it's not about us at work. The mission is about God at work. It's about what God is doing, about what Jesus is doing. Paul doesn't go to this 
synagogue and tell them, I have figured out the right number of formulas. We've been doing the rituals wrong. We've got the right set of rituals now. If you'll just stop, you know, stop with this Passover thing, stop with the Sabbath keeping, stop going to the temple, and now take on new rituals of like baptism. Take on a ritual, take on a new ritual. This, this is the Lord's Supper. This is going to replace this, and this will replace this. Get all the religious rituals taken and then the puzzle is solved, and all of a sudden you're worth salvation. Is that is that the message of the gospel? No. The message of the gospel is receive what God has done in Christ Jesus. God receives you and welcomes you and showers grace on you. Receive it and live in it. Paul also in this space speaks about, I think this fascinating movement that he's just now beginning to recognize more and more. Now, all the way back when Saul was converted, when he, when he had the experience of meeting Jesus, we're told in that space that uh, God already has set apart Saul to be a vessel for being a witness to the Gentiles, to the nations, okay? Ananias is told that before he goes to baptism. But Saul is still not in that place necessarily. He's still only speaking to the Jews here. So he has this realization. He and Barnabas have this realization. Say, we were really going to the Jews, but we've, we're actually now perceiving that we're called beyond this. We're called to speak the word somewhere else. And he uh, quotes this, uh, this old prophet. Prophecy from Isaiah and speaks about how we're meant to be, he and Barnabas are meant to be the light to the Gentiles, the light to the nations. There's this evolution of this process by which Paul, even though he's not being exclusive, he always wants to continue to have a word for the Jews. In fact, for all the way in the book of Romans, many years later, he writes, he talks about his own deep desire, his deep longing to see the people of his nation come to Jesus. But he seems to notice that the rejection that they're experiencing is moving him further into the mission that God has for him. Paul is figuring this stuff out. He's listening to what God says. He's discerning where the Spirit is moving. The church is a part of that process too. The church is saying, Paul, Barnabas, God has spoken to us and told us to send you on your way. They lay their hands on right and fast and they worship and send them out. Paul himself is beginning to realize that that God who is at work in the world has a mission for him too. It's a place in the world where he's supposed to go share life. And the story is beginning to turn as Paul and Barnabas are starting to more and more realize there's a place, there are a people who are ready to receive the light of the gospel that we have. Does that mean that God has given up on these two? No. But it meant that Paul and Barnabas needed to find their space 
their spot of mission. And so it is for us, right? And maybe Paul's is a little bit wrong. And Paul says, you know, it's, it's the nations. But nations had to become more concrete in every moment, right? It was the nations, but it was also Antioch and Pisidian. It was also Cyprus. And it was also all these other little small towns, Derby, Lystra, that they're going to go to in Galatia. And these other communities. It's great to think of our mission as being the light to the nations. But that has to become a lot more tangible. The nations are an idea. But eventually we have to move from that idea to thinking about people. The flesh and blood people, the men and women that Paul and Barnabas are going to meet, who are going to begin to take on the way of Jesus. Now, some of you guys are already thinking ahead of me here. But I think the way of the church in the world, I think part of the process that we all have to kind of work through is it's one thing to say we are witnesses to the world. But somewhere along the way, I think God nudges us and shows us. And sometimes it happens by the Spirit just speaking within us. Sometimes it happens by Barnabas shows up at Saul's door and, and knocks on it and says, Hey, I, I need you. I need the skills that you have, the people that I'm working with. You would be perfect to reach them. Sometimes... It's you're trying one thing and it doesn't work all real well. And so you say, well, if, the, if I'm beating my head against this wall, I'm going to go try and share with these people that seem like they're interested a little bit. This process of discerning mission. It's often experimental. It's a little bit of something that we try here. It's a little bit where we set out and take somewhere else. It's some conversation that moves us in one way. And it's all of us together in the spirit trying to pay attention to it. Here in Central, sometimes I think it looks like this. So this is one of my favorite moments over the last few weeks. And when we talk about our mission here, I know sometimes it gets, it's, it's 50,000 feet and it's, you know, it seems kind of abstract. So I want to just talk flesh and blood for just a minute. This is about two and a half blocks away from the 9th Street Park that's next to MLK there. And you guys know that that's kind of ground zero for us in the way that we think about what the 72202 stuff is, right? So for a couple of years, we've had a group of people that are going there, and they knock on doors, and sometimes people answer, and sometimes people don't. 
I've been and I've, I've, I've walked in night doors and sometimes it feels like only like one out of every five or six, you know, sometimes you think I'm going to keep knocking on doors and nobody's going to answer the door, right? And then some days it was like it was a couple weeks ago when it felt like every door somebody came up and just wanted to talk. This is Mr. Wayne. He lives in the greenhouse. He answers his door almost every week. And so he knows, because he's had a lot of conversations with Joanna, and he saw Joanna's belly getting rounder over the course of several months. And when he saw that Joanna was back a couple of weeks ago, and not just by herself, but that she had little, I say little, she's not a little baby. If you've held him, you know. It's like a three for the price of one baby. <laughs> Mr. Wayne was so delighted to be our youngest little missionary over there. And he just wanted to look in and just love on him. <laughs> and just greet him and say hi. They're not the only people in the picture. You know who invited the most people to our area-wide worship night? I don't know. We don't turn in numbers. But I think it might be Landon Beck. Let me show us for Dr. Block that day. And when we were all kind of, you know, him and Paul in the beginning, we said, all right, who's going to talk when we go up to this door or whatever? Landon said, I want to talk at every door. And he kept inviting people. He kept saying, hey, we're having a sing-along on Sunday. I don't know if that's what it's called, by the way, Landon, but you were doing a great job. I didn't want to interrupt. Okay. <laughs> you were doing an awesome job. And Landon was just sitting there and speaking and speaking about the invitation and the welcome of Jesus to people in the neighborhood. We can talk in the abstract about reaching the nations, but eventually we have to say, what about Mr. Wayne? And what about the people in the house next door? And what about people on the next block? And what about on the next block? Because we can put on the social ads, I can make the reels, we can do all of that stuff, but somebody has to go to the doors. Somebody has to put a, a hand to a hand. And somebody has to make that mission not just an abstraction of giving, of reaching the world. It has to be a list of names. Sometimes there's a, a big debate about what a, what a church even is. My, my circles of my theologian friends that talk about different different aspects of what really makes up a church. I, you know what a church is to me? It's a list of names. It's you and 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 you. And we gather in the name of Jesus. And just like a church is made concrete by the flesh and blood people that show up. mission is made up of the flesh and blood people that God calls us to go share the word with. Mission is a list of names, just like the churches. Names of people 
who in the name of Jesus we bear witness to. So listen, I think part of this whole process for us is that collectively we're asking, we're seeking, and we're probing. Our elders are trying to discern, staff's trying to work on that too. And the rest of us are trying to find those places where we, we perceive that God is pulling us to bear witness. What is it that we bear witness to? We bear witness to the name of Jesus. Jesus in whom we have forgiveness and grace. The one to whom, the one who, who gives us the gift of eternal life. Mission to me comes with the urgency that Paul carried into these cities in Turkey. Where he would say to them, God is calling you to life. To eternal life. And he perceived that that was, that was a choice between death and life. God was giving me the, the opportunity for people to have eternal life. And it was so tragic that they would reject it, right? So listen. A lot of this has been taught today to people in the church who are, who are in that space where we are trying to discern how we go about mission. That's a, a big part of what we're doing today. But I want to also speak as a, in the name of Jesus to all of you who are here that maybe haven't given yourself to them. God is at work. And all of God's working isn't just to make this institution of the church bigger. And it's all of God's working isn't just so that we feel better about ourselves or we feel, you know, happier, make new friends, and you know, all, all that's part of it. That's not really the real heart of 